Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. It's the summertime. It's 2016, which means it's the Olympics. Not a lot else culturally feels like it's going on at the no, moment, does the it? No, the Olympics is really dominating stuff. I am so out of touch with competitive sport and the Olympics that the other day I said to someone, where were the Olympics last year? And they were like, <laughs> London, four years ago. Do you not remember? It was quite a big deal. <laughs> I'm not really into sport. Neither am I really, but I do enjoy the opportunity to watch sports that I forget exist the rest of the time. Mm. All the horse dancing, I really like. Although mm-hmm. I am one of those people that thinks the horse should get a medal. The horse is doing all the dancing. All that stuff is really funny and really posh. I saw a brilliant thread on Twitter of which sports are Tory and which sports aren't <laughs> that was Tory. really good. <laughs> which I love. That was like football, sport of the people, definitely not Tory, A+. And then like polo, Tory, <laughs> absolutely Tory. <laughs> One of the sports that I definitely think is Tory is golf, mm, which is been story. reintroduced to the Olympics after like a hundred years, which. I think it's weird that sports kind of come and go. Yeah, well, um, guys, make up your minds. Well, apparently every Olympics they introduce a new one and like take away a different one. Like, That's training... like, is that an in, one in one out policy yeah. at a club? <laughs> Imagine being an athlete and training your whole life only to then be told like, oh yeah, your sport's not an Olympic sport anymore. <laughs> That's really, really, really nice. So yeah, golf is back in it. So all the like famous golf people who, you know, just play on the normal world championship circuit or whatever it's called. I don't know about golf. Uh, <laughs> the only golfers I know are Tiger Woods and Niall Horan. Yeah, neither of them are in it. (laughs) Sorry. Shame. More One Direction members in the Olympics. Justin Rose, who is a British golfer, did go and he did win. Oh, that's good. I was made to watch this by my boyfriend. Yeah, I was going to say, you seem to know a lot about this for someone who doesn't have an interest in golf. It was a whole afternoon. I did not really understand what was happening. My main interest in the whole thing was the kits that the, the players wear. Because... Different countries take different approaches to this, but obviously they adapt their like central design idea for the thing that each sports person needs to wear. So, you know, obviously at one end of the scale, you've got like the beach volleyball players who need a bikini. And at the other end, you've got like the hockey goalie who needs like an all over loose outfit so she can fit all of her protective gear underneath. It's a real fashion extravaganza. It really is. 
So the golf people just wear like a polo shirt and trousers. Classic, preppy, awful. Exactly. Some countries, like Sweden, for instance, just go with, we'll just make the polo shirt the colour that our country is most associated with. So Mm -hmm. that's just like yellow. However, our kit is all designed by Stella McCartney and is really weird. All of them have got some variation of like the Queen's crest on it but in different designs so on the leotards it's all in like spangly this is like full tory yeah it's massively (laughs) tory so justin rose was wearing a white polo shirt with like a navy silhouette of a royal coat of arms emblazoned (laughs) on his chest apart from i think it maybe he's really tall or something because the shirt was clearly too long for him so the belt of his trousers were like cutting the crest off halfway through he just looked like that simon cowell golfer look he looked like a total idiot oh man that is just grim i felt really sad for him because he's all the pictures of his like winning a gold medal he's gonna be like why was i wearing that (laughs) my my main enjoyment of the olympics has been in the ensuing memes Mm, yeah uh such as usain bolt posing for the camera (laughs) mid-sprint The dive that happened in the women's 800 meters. Yes, that was really good. I hope that everyone else is enjoying it probably with a a much higher level of analysis than we can bring to the Olympics. Yeah, although I feel like the Olympics is for everyone. All sporting abilities. Yeah, what else is it for if not for people who cannot participate in sports to sit around and offer their useless critiques? It is amazing, isn't it, how you go from like total bafflement to come on you're supposed to jump higher yeah i saw a really about great line of this like gymnast like wobbling about to fall off her like beam horse thing and someone in the audience just like waves his hand to try as though he's like pushing her back up onto it and then she stands up fine and you're like well if it wasn't for that guy gesturing wildly in the audience <laughs> she would definitely have fallen we've had some emails from you guys this week as ever thank you so much it's seriouslypod at gmail.com if you do want to send us an email oh we should say as well that we've decided to start sending an email every time we do a new episode in case you want to hear from us that way as well you can sign up for that at tinyletter.com forward slash seriouslypod woohoo if you do sign up for that it's then really easy to get back to us because you can just hit reply and let us know your thoughts wicked oh my god we're so digital so sarah smythe emailed in after enduring fellini's eight and a half i'd highly recommend sally potter's brilliant the tango lesson as a feminist antidote this film the tango lesson is from like the 90s and doesn't seem to have any sort of relationship yeah, with so eight and a half eight and a half being the film that i made you watch last week yeah the like italian masterpiece of the early 60s totally weird yeah yeah but it does sound quite good so thanks sarah okay we'll give that (laughs) a go so we've also had some emails and tweets and tumblr posts and stuff over the last couple of months imploring us to watch the bbc3 show fleabag Uh, william golightly got in touch to say um, you should definitely check it out it's a very amusing and occasionally dark introspective on the self-doubts of a feminist cafe owner set against the backdrop of dysfunctional family relationships and the loss of a best friend slightly more succinctly pip from bristol got in touch to say fleabag on bbc3 hilarious or bloody awful can't decide please discuss (laughs) (laughs) and yeah as i said lots and lots of tweets and stuff asking for our views on this so conveniently that is the first thing we're going to discuss this week. Fleabag is a strange and often sad comedy from the mind of Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who also stars as the titular Fleabag, a young woman trying her best to deal with a failing business, tumultuous love life, and the loss of her mother and best friend. My sister. She's uptight and beautiful and probably anorexic, but clothes look awesome on her, so... You're almost late. Let's do a flash poo and prep. Oh, Christ, did you wash your hands? Of course not. Oh, my God, you are disgusting. 
disgusting. Fucking hell. Of course I washed my hands. It's not like I grew up without a mother. So it's quite a dark BBC Three comedy, which is usually sort of fairly light, a bit rude, but nothing too miserable or anything like that, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Whereas this is all of those things. Yeah, I found that episode by episode, it's got a little heavier. Yeah. So the first episode is very farcical, more based around her love life and her sex life, which gets some comparisons in the media to like Bridget Jones, Sex in the City girls, mm. which I, those comparisons for me don't really land. No, I don't think they do. You can really only say they've got similarities in the sense that it's like a female-centred comedy with some jokes in it. And women having sex. Yeah. But like if a, if a man comedy about men and their sex lives, they wouldn't all be you know compared to each mm. other in the same way. It's just... They're not that similar. But that first episode is much more about her on-off boyfriend and a one-night stand she has and there's lots of jokes about anal and that kind of thing. And it's really sort of physically silly, slapstick, farcical when there's a scene where she tries to, quote, surprise her boyfriend in a romantic way by, like, sneaking up behind him while he's in the shower with a balaclava on and a knife in her hand. (laughs) So, like, (laughs) it's that tempo and that sort of vibe. But then as the episodes go on and we learn a lot more about her relationships with her father, her sister, her stepmother, and the fact that she's lost two women who've been incredibly big figures in her life. I think the more you get into her psyche, the more sort of simultaneously funny and sad it becomes. And at that point, I started to feel that maybe a slightly better comparison is Broad City. There's a feeling I get in Broad City of like rooting for Abby and Alana against the world that I have in Fleabag as well because as more and more of her difficulties are revealed and she you know she's got money problems her business is failing her best friend has died I just really really wanted to come out okay for her yeah I think it's a lot more serious in parts Mm. than well serious is kind of the wrong word but it's definitely heavier than Broad City I don't think I've ever felt like I wanted to cry watching an episode of Broad City but there have been several moments in this program where I've just I don't know whether I'm gonna laugh or just like full-on weep and I think there's something about it as well that where I feel so much empathy for her, like so much. Mm. You can really feel like you are her in lots of moments in this program, even though she's often doing like completely outrageous things. And I read a review that was sort of like, meet Fleabag, the girl that you'll like cringe with, even though, you know, you hope you aren't her. And I was a bit like, well, I already feel like I am her. It's not a case of like wishing you aren't her because all of these things that happen to her are basically a result of her like, being anxious and being sad and being lonely these really really universal emotions that everyone's experienced but maybe not so relentlessly as she is because she's dealing with two you know she's grieving for two Mm. very significant people in her life that's really what made it such an incredible watching experience for me it's essentially a sitcom about grief Mm -hmm. which is a really clever thing to conceive of but then she handles that aspect of it with such a light touch like I'm thinking of the there are a couple of scenes I think it's maybe in the second episode where she's walking with her sister through a graveyard Mm -hmm. and they're going to see their mum's grave or something and she's she points out this man who's like (laughs) bawling his eyes out next to a grave and her sister's like oh god that's awful and Fleabag's like oh no he's here every day it's a different grave like she starts going like oh no one actually grieves like that that's not what grief looks like that's for show and the sister's like no 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 everyone grieves in their own way like you can't say that kind of thing and she's like no he's literally at a different grave (laughs) (laughs) every day (laughs) every day but then then her sister picks up and she's like you come here every day yeah and Fleabag's like oh yeah and 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 that's it's so heartbreaking yeah and it's both hilarious 
but also with the kind of character reveal and the touching moment all packaged in the same couple of lines of dialogue. So it's such clever writing. It's really, yeah, there's a lot of depth to this. And I think the sister as well as a character that Mm. you really, you you get so much of her and she could so easily be played off as a joke. So I've also been watching a little bit of Crashing, which was Phoebe Waller-Bridge. She was starred in that before and I think wrote it as well. And there's a character in that who is basically the girlfriend of her love interest and she's quote marks uptight and she is constantly played for laughs as being like uptight her whole character struggle is about trying not to be so uptight and then you get the sister in fleabag who is similar in that she's sort of the the older more put together much more stressed out sister fleabag buys her a vibrator so that she'll you know loosen up a bit but you know Mm. all these jokes are there but it's done with so much more empathy and so much more like depth of characterization that you actually feel like you really know her and she's not just a joke character this is that's just one part of her personality yeah because on the one hand Fleabag buys her on a vibrator but then on the other hand when she finds herself out for a drink with her sister's husband she like properly has a go at him for not being nicer to her sister and is like she will leave you Mm. you know so and there's there's a scene later where because she's obviously a bit like shocked by the vibrator and sort of laughs it off a bit but then there's a scene in a later episode where she goes, thank you, that was actually a really thoughtful present because you knew that I was sort of stressed out and struggling and my sex life wasn't going very well. And it's it's just stuff like that 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 lifts this out of being just a funny comedy. Yeah. It's more than that. So I think in answer to Pip from Bristol's question, hilarious or bloody awful? It is hilarious. And bloody awful. And bloody awful. <laughs> in the best way. In the best possible way. Like it's, I do think it's great TV. There's no question about Amazing its quality. Amazing TV. But the emotional reactions it elicits are a really interesting combination. Mm-hmm. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now we're going to talk about the BFG, the new film adaptation of Roald Dahl's children's book of the same name. 
This film was directed by Steven Spielberg and stars Mark Rylance as the titular giant by motion capture opposite Ruby Barnhill's Sophie. The BFG takes Sophie to giant country and together they save Britain from a band of man-eating giants. What kind of a monster are you? Bone cruncher. Child chewer. Meat dripper. Gizzard gulper. Butcher boy. Please don't eat me. You think because I'm a giant that I'm a man goblin cannibal? <laughs> I was a big fan of all Roald Dahl books as a child. Mm, Loved them. And also the 1989 animation of the BFG. I sat down in the cinema and I was like, oh yeah, there's all these plots in this film. So you have the giants, the other giants who eat children. That's one of the main plots. He's a kind of outcast from giant life because he's essentially a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. They call him Runt. Yeah, who thinks that children should be allowed to live in peace. And his job is giving people nice dreams. He collects dreams and then he like blows them through the window. This is what I mean. So you've got like the the giants eating children versus the BFG not Mm. eating children storyline. You've got the BFG needs to go and put the good dreams in people's heads. Otherwise they won't get good dreams element of the plot line there's just quite a lot going on at once there's like sophie being miserable in the orphanage i sort of had condensed it into like one simple plot about a girl who meets a giant and finds out he's nice after all and forgot all of the other weird stuff going on and the fact that it you know spends a lot of time set in buckingham palace and the army are involved and i totally forgot about all of that stuff so that comes towards the end. Sophie persuades the BFG that he doesn't have to put up with the giants treating him like this and also that they pose a threat to the rest of the humans because they refuse to adopt his way of life. Obviously, because she's a child, we should go and talk to the Queen about this. I said to my boyfriend after I saw this movie, he didn't know any of the casting. I was like, guess which beloved national treasure plays the Queen in this movie? And I think he got it on like the third guess. It was like, Helen Mirren, Maggie Smith, Penelope Wilton. It is I was Penelope like, think Cuddly. He was like, Penelope Wilton. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, of course, she is the very soft and loving queen. It's a very pro-the-state movie in which yeah. the queen and the army save the day at the end. I forgot all of that weird monarchistic. <laughs> and, and you get quite a lot of shots of soldiers wearing the bearskins on their heads doing their duty and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I wondered, did Steven Spielberg put all that stuff in for America or does he just really like it? That is just the story. Yeah. You know, it's not like they well, changed it. I think that does hint at something that you find out, I think maybe in your mid-teens, or at least I certainly did, which is that Roald Dahl was not the beloved BFG character himself. He was quite right-wing, and uh, some people say anti-Semitic, and some of the darker elements of his children's books have their roots in darker places in his psyche. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, Caroline. We won't accept it. Yeah. Not ideal. I do like, however, the the vegetarian undertones of this yeah, me too. story because the BFG, and actually this is true in the book as well, is not just not a human eater, but he is a fully fledged vegetarian. Mm. And there's a little bit in the book where they like discuss this Sophie and the BFG, where he's like, 
you don't want giants to eat you, but you would eat pigs. So actually, you don't have a right to be upset by this. Whereas the BFG only eats these disgusting things called snozcumbers, which are like cucumbers, but massive and slimy. Yeah, all snotty. But then the final shot, I feel like, of this movie is of his like vegetable garden in giant country where he's like grown loads of tomatoes and stuff. And you're like, ah, and then the BFG was happy with his tomatoes, which is really funny to me. Yeah, that is really nice. I love that. Yeah, I just find it so funny that like giant country as a place is really boring it's just literally like some mountains with like five giants in and some abandoned cars the like plot basically is like oh yeah this boring place with giants let's get rid of the giants and bring in some vegetables and that'll be like the <laughs> end of the whole story he gets an allotment and he lives happily ever after <laughs> it's literally it's so yeah. seo trot isn't it it's so it is funny. i think it's in some ways it's a very typical story of like child has magical adventure and then at the end, they must part. They cannot mm-hmm. be together forever, but mm-hmm. they st- like forever think of each other. I was reminded in my research of this that that's not what happens in the book, actually. The BFG comes to live in England. The Queen makes a special yeah. castle for him, and next door is a little cottage for Sophie. <laughs> that's really funny that's a bit like james and the giant peach mm. where the end is like they also made a house out of the peach stone and they all lived there yeah. in the middle of new york forever. well dahl was less interested in the i love you but i must let you go type thing he was like no we'll just have have a giant castle with a giant in it that's that's how life will be now oh i like Which that i really like as well it's like he basically subverted the whole fairy tale moralistic structure mm. into being like no this is what i wish to happen yeah, that is one of the things that's great about Roald Dahl in general, isn't it? Is that he's just a bit like, mm. yeah, C- CBA with the like traditional moral children's plot. It's always like the naughty people win in the end. A and... bit like in The Witches, the kid doesn't turn back into a kid. He just lives out the rest of his life as a mouse. Yeah, and like in SEO Trot, he like tricks this woman into falling in love with him by like seducing her with like a thousand different tortoises. And then at the end, she just never finds out. <laughs> and, they, and they're fine. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He's really not up for the doing the right thing. <laughs> like lie your way through life kids (laughs) but so it maybe it was slightly disappointing to me that this film did put the story sort of back into that kind of structure yeah and i thought nice as it was yeah i read a review before being like oh it's just such a shame that they end up a boring old buckingham palace and i was like but that's just the story what they meant to do and then when i watched it i was a bit like yeah this actually Mm. isn't fun the first two thirds of the film where there's more like peril and adventure and giant Mm -hmm. stuff is good but then I think that is a bit of a letdown and just like the glamour of Buckingham Palace being basically the interesting thing in the end like there's so many jokes about like curtsying and like Mm. it being the actual queen and being polite and stuff and you're a bit like okay we get it it's the queen but there's more excitement to be had than just being like oh i'm in the palace it's very like hierarchical it's very tory yeah it is quite tory at the end i did however really like the animation style of this and so on mark rylance looked great didn't he yeah because they did something that they don't often do with motion capture which is they actually captured him. Mm. So if you think of like Andy Serkis and Gollum, I think probably the most famous motion capture performance. If you see an interview with Andy Serkis, unless he's doing his Gollum gestures, mm. he doesn't seem anything like Gollum. Mm-hmm. So he's very much inhabiting a like digital skin in order to do it. Whereas with the BFG, obviously Spielberg made the decision that he wanted the BFG to be really just Mark Rylance, but a giant. Yeah, Mark Rylance, but will make his ears a lot bigger. Yeah, so it's got his face and his facial mannerisms and all of his physical mannerisms, actually. So yeah, he does just look like Mark Rylance, but with really long legs and big ears and stuff. And it's really beautiful. It's a great performance as well. He's more soft than mm. the BFG in the book. 
definitely. But that's what works for this film, which is like a Spielberg cuddly film, not a, yeah. not a spiky Roald Dahl film. The BFG of the book and I think of the animated film is a lot more brusque and rude, rude and defensive because he's effectively been outcast by his own people and he's lived on his own for a really long time mm-hmm. and he doesn't really like anyone else. I think it worked for what it was because it's basically a Spielberg film. Right? Yes, it is. And there are like strong echoes of E.T. and stuff in it as well, that being his other main not terrestrial film, if you could say that. It was okay, I think I would say about this film. I would agree. Yeah. If it introduces a new generation of kids to Roald Dahl stories, then it's done a good job. But it's definitely not the best way to experience this particular story. When you get a bottle of fabulous rock little bubbles, giggles is part of the plan. It's yummy and clubby and jiggles your tummy and soon you're off with a whiz poppy bang. As certain as eggs is eggs, a couple of cakes is a prop cuddle makes you feel grand. The chuckling and gurgling, it seems to uncertainty why people go whiz pop all over the land. So last week I recommended that Caroline immerse herself in the dystopian hell of Naked Attraction, a Channel 4 dating show where everyone is naked the whole time. Um, Caroline, what did you reckon? It's horrible. I hated it. (laughs) It's so, so awful. So explain for people how it works. This is a very conventional dating show in the sense that there is one person who's like the picker and they're presented with a range of, I think it's, is it five people? Five or six people people, who have been chosen because they fit the picker's profile of what they'd like in a person. And they like look at them and they reject someone and eventually they go on a date with the one that they like best. And then you get a little bit of like, after the date what do you think are you still going to see each other that's all quite standard a lot of that harks back to blind date and even before obviously the twist they put on this one is that everyone is naked and the people that the picker is choosing from stand in these boxes with screens on the front and the screen gets lifted up to their waist and then the picker gets to pass judgment on their like legs and genitalia and then reject someone and then it goes up to their like neck height and they get to say do they like their chest or not and reject someone and then they get to see their face and reject someone then they like have this weird awkward chat with them Mm. part way through the picker themselves takes their clothes off Uh, so you've just got like naked people naked person presenter still fully clothed and the whole thing is just so so awful my worst feelings about it though are to do with the framing device because Obviously, Channel 4 have just done this because they're like, yeah, loads of naked people with a frisson of sex involved. People will talk about about it, yeah. But in the actual logic of the show, they've tried to give it this like scientific gloss of like, studies say that loads of us don't even like what we look like naked, but we're too into the relationship by that point. To turn back, naked attraction strips away all those layers and you get to, you know, just get to the point. And all of the people interviewed on the show are constantly like, yeah, I just really think this is a really genuine way of like meeting someone to date because like there's not nowhere to hide that you just have to be you. I'm, I'm um, eye rolling so hard right now. And it's just such bollocks. All of the like little interstitial animations where it's like, some studies say women actually prefer smaller penises because they're not superficial. It's like, mm, no. Yeah, um, all of it is so annoying. I think what really winds me up is that it's got this sheen of body positivity. Yes, oh So my it's God. almost like they're like, we're not ashamed of our bodies. We really own our bodies. Our bodies are us. And they also basically suggest that they've got this real range of different body types. Which they totally don't. That and I think really neither of those things are true. Not angry. Just the fact that people are like not embarrassed of their bodies and will go on a TV program and say, look at my body, doesn't necessarily mean that it, that is a body positive thing to do as a program mm. to sort of say, yes, this is how we value other people based on their bodies. That to me is not what body positivity means. Body positivity just means accepting that 
all bodies are beautiful in their own way Mm. and then the idea that they have a range of bodies on show is a bit laughable because they don't they had one person who was an amputee once they had you know one person who had a tattoo around their dick once like that's not what body positivity Um, and a range of bodies from what i saw as well i didn't see anyone older than like 40 Mm -hmm. on the show either definitely not any older women you know there's never really anyone who's overweight that particularly like several women just happily admit to having had plastic surgery and liking it and yeah which doesn't seem like a massively body positive thing to me it's not even that like obviously if you have plastic surgery that's an individual choice and it's not something for me to sit here and be like that is not a body positive thing to do the fact that they have got this fairly narrow range Mm. of women and men who conform to our expectations of what bodies should look like and then they basically say things to confirm those societal norms like it's nice when a vagina's a bit more tidy or there was one thing she said which i found really weird you never want the bells to hang lower than the rope about like balls and penis i mean obviously i get what she's saying but it's just like ridiculous it just makes me feel like really what the hairlessness everywhere Mm. really creeped me out as well yeah there's a lot of that and then someone will come on and they'll like have a semi pruned bush rather than a completely completely bold vagina and they'll be like yeah i'm so feminist i like Mm. really think body hair is a good thing and you're like we're not genuinely doing this are we we're just (laughs) we're just pretending it's all a complete facade oh it just makes me feel so uncomfortable yeah i have to say i did make it all the way through one episode but i had to do it in two sittings because i just got too stressed out the first time and had to turn it off the real moment that shocked me was when someone said um that they found going on the program liberating because it allowed them to free themselves from the fact that they're not just their clothes and they're not just their personality and i was like but you are your body the horror of like placing your entire personhood in your physical body is just so stressful for me and maybe it is liberating from some people to just be like yeah i am this meat sack Mm. come and get it if you want it but for me that's just like completely horrific to think that my self-expression through my clothes or my personality should come behind that to me is bizarre but that's also not at all what the show is advocating because after doing the like meat sack bit Mm -hmm. they then make them put their clothes back on and go on a date where they're supposed to like talk about their interests and stuff yeah it's like either this is just about like raw physical attraction so once you pick the person you then like bang them if you want to do you have a relationship from that or not you just accept that like well that was really nice we obviously fancy each other great but this like weird reversal oh let's see each other naked first and then see if we get on and the two are somehow connected Oh, no, I didn't like it. It's also fundamentally the opposite of what sexual attraction is in my mind. And I might be in the minority here, but the idea that... I sort of get what people are saying when they're like, do you know what? Physical attraction is the first thing and it's Mm. the most important thing. For me, physical attraction would come like if someone made me laugh. Like that's just how it would work for me. I get that as an angle. But physical attraction is not like ranking someone's kneecaps, genitalia, (laughs) how far apart their shoulders are and like what their eyebrows are doing. Like... No one's ever been like, oh yeah, I'm really attracted to her because of her tidy vagina, ever. That's just not, that's not a thing. So it's not even actually about physical attraction, because if it was, I don't know what you would do. Maybe they'd all come out, they'd all like exchange pleasantries and flirt a little bit just as a way to like be around each Mm. other physically. But instead, you're like literally just (laughs) ranking someone's like toe length. (laughs) So we hate it. So we hate it. 
The most hateful thing about the whole show, though, is the bit where someone gets rejected, has to walk across the set, totally naked, do an awkward naked hug with the person that's just rejected them, and then... Say hello if they speak, and bye. Yeah. And then, like, walk off the set, and the camera just, like, drifts down to their bum as they walk (laughs) off the set. Naked walk off shame. (laughs) That... That was just so cringe. I hated it so much. Yeah, it's a really monstrous program. So I can't recommend that listeners go and watch it, but maybe it says some slightly upsetting things about where we are with TV commissioning at the moment. Yeah. So Caroline, what am I watching next week? It's a lot like Naked Attraction. Is it? No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to recommend you the first couple of episodes of All Creatures Great and Small, which is a TV series made by the BBC starting in 1978, which was, I understand, incredibly popular at the time. It's an adaptation of the James Herriot novels about being a vet in the Yorkshire Dales in the late 30s, I think. Mm. And, you know, he's a young guy from Edinburgh. He moves to a different place. He's, like, getting to grips with a new job. It's... I hope he would be played by Grant Chester in a current remake of this. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. (laughs) And so it's quite episodic. There's lots of, like, going to different farms, treating different animal ailments. There are some, like, really amusing animal stories. Some of them are very sad. Overall, it's generally quite a, like, cheery and comforting show, I think. Oh, I can't wait to watch that. That sounds so fun. Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Seriously. All you have to do is search SRSLY in iTunes or any other podcasting app you use. While you're there, it would be really great if you could leave us an iTunes review as it helps other people find the show. We also rely on you listeners for your recommendations. So if you want to tell us what you thought about something or if you've got something we should watch, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, via email. All the details are on seriouslypodcast.com. If you like, you can also recommend us to your friends, family, neighbours, strangers. Let them know that you like the podcast and they should be listening to it too. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.